0: Right, it's good to be with you guys today. <clears throat> it's good to be back. My name is Matt Carter. Um, I'm the guy that started this church about 14 years ago. I serve as the pastor of preaching here now. Uh, for those of you who've kind of been around the last semester, just real quick update on me. <clears throat> you know, I've been kind of fighting a cough. And um, over the <clears throat> Christmas holidays, we thought, okay, we're gonna try to get to the bottom of this, and so I did a a larynx scope, I did an esophageal scope, they went down and looked inside my stomach, uh, done all kinds of x-rays, chest x-rays, and they can't find anything, and so this has been a real frustrating thing for me, if you want to pray for me, I could use your prayers, it's just right now, it's kind of a thorn in my flesh, sometimes it kind of comes and goes, and so, but I know for me so far, God's grace has been sufficient for me, And um, hopefully God's grace will be sufficient for you today as you have to listen to me cough while I preach. So so be patient with me. Um, I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 6 verse 19 is where we're going to be today. We're continuing our series called The Hard Sayings of Jesus. The Hard Sayings of Jesus. And we're doing this series, um, if this is your first Sunday, we're doing this series because a lot of times... Um, What I've kind of found is that our perception, and I want you to hear this, our perception of who Jesus is in our minds is radically different than the actual Jesus of the Bible. Our perception of who Jesus is in our brains, who we think he is, is different than the Jesus of the scripture. I think a lot of us have um, a picture of Jesus in our minds of this guy that spent some time on earth, kind of floated around. It was this really super, super nice guy doing super nice things, super encouraging to everybody. <clears throat> and that's kind of our image of him. <clears throat> and, and make no mistake, Jesus is kind, Jesus is loving. Jesus was and is often encouraging, but so often in the scripture, and maybe more often than not, the things that would come out of Jesus' mouth to people, <clears throat> although were very loving, were incredibly Challenging, To the point that a lot of times Jesus would say something to a crowd or to a group of people and they would just say, this is too hard, and they would walk away. And a lot of times, uh, to the point that that it was so difficult that Jesus would say something to a group of people and they wouldn't just walk away, but they would decide, all right, we're going to kill this guy. And so Jesus often said, although always loving, because sometimes the most difficult things are the most loving things, He would regularly say things to people that were incredibly uncomfortable in order to bring them to repentance in their life. In order to bring them to a place where they would turn from their sin and turn back to God. And the statement that we're going to look at today, in my opinion, is one of the hardest statements of Jesus. The one we're looking at today and the one we're going to look at next Sunday that I'm going to be teaching on next Sunday. I think these are maybe two of the hardest things Jesus says and, um, and I, would be, uh, I would venture to guess that the one that we're going to look at today um, probably impacts to some degree, if you're a believer, impacts everybody in the room that would claim the name of Christ. It's very applicable to all of us today. And <clears throat> church, here's what makes this so difficult. <clears throat> what makes this uh, statement so difficult is this, because some of the statements of, of, of Jesus, as you look in the scripture, are hard because they're hard to hear hard to hear. It's kind of like what Tyler taught on two weeks ago um, where Jesus said, you got to eat my flesh and you have to drink my blood or you can have no part of me. The Israelites were following Jesus around by the thousands (coughs) because he was uh, healing them and he was feeding them, which is a big deal 2,000 years ago. If you got sick, you died. You You couldn't just go to McDonald's and get some food. So this guy shows up and he's feeding everybody. He's healing everybody and everybody is following him. In droves, he stops in the middle of it, the height of his popularity and says, you can't follow me for what I'm doing for you. you got to follow me for who I am. you got to eat my flesh, drink my blood, or you can have no part of me. Incredibly offensive statement. Everybody takes off but his disciples. So some things are hard because they're hard to hear. Now, <coughs> other statements are hard, not because they're hard to hear, but because they're hard to do. They're hard to do. Like, do not be anxious. And that's what Aaron talked about last week. Um... When I was on vocal rest, which is supposed to be healing my cough, cough, but it didn't. Thank you, Aaron. It was an amazing sermon, by the way. If you've ever struggled with anxiety and you weren't here last week, you need to, trust me, you need to get that podcast. Incredible message. But what was interesting about that particular saying of Jesus, do not be anxious, even though um, that's not necessarily hard to hear. It's hard to do. But what's interesting is that's that's a statement of Jesus, even though it's hard, all of us in here want to do that. I doubt there's a person in the room that's like, man, I just love being anxious. And so when you hear that statement of Jesus, even though it's hard to do, we all want to do it. Okay, now, what makes the statement we're going to look at today difficult, it's not really all that offensive. Okay, you hear it and you go, I get that Jesus would say something like that. And it's not one of those statements necessarily that's difficult to do, but we really want to do it. Like, do not be anxious. What makes this statement today so incredibly challenging is because it's one of those things that you hear it and it's really difficult to do and none of us want to do it. That's what makes this so hard today. What Jesus says today, in my opinion, is one of the only commands in the Bible that I'm aware of that I would argue that the vast majority of Christians just completely blow it off. We hear it, we go, nope, too hard, don't want to do it and we move on down the road with our lives, okay? Here's the thing. We're gonna to see today that ignoring this command has some pretty incredible and difficult consequences. And so this is a, this is a command, although it's difficult, we don't wanna do it, we gotta pay attention to it. All right, you ready for it? Let me read it to you. Matthew chapter six, verse 19. <coughs> Jesus says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. That word treasure, and I'll talk more about this in a minute, he's, talk, he's talking, it can, it can mean a lot of things. It can mean um, earthly possessions. It can mean your, chil- you know, your children and the, and the stuff in your life and that sort of thing, but primarily, and you need to understand this, primarily Jesus is talking about your wealth. And we know that because he comes right out and says it here in a couple of verses. He's primarily talking about finances, wealth, our money, that sort of thing. <laughs> Do not store it for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. And as American Christians, we do not like that verse, do we? Some of y'all are like, man, crud, I just came on the wrong Sunday today. But it's a difficult saying for us. And here's what Jesus is teaching. What he's teaching, hear, hear this carefully, is that in this life you are going to gather for yourself treasure in one of two places. One, you're gonna gather, you're gonna store up for yourself treasure here on earth, okay, that can't last because it's not eternal or (coughs) you're gonna store up for yourself treasure in heaven that will last because it is treasure that is eternal and then Jesus makes the very hard statement Do not store up for yourself treasure here on earth. Now, I think it's important that we remember today that this is not a suggestion of Jesus. This is not a suggestion of the scripture. Jesus is not like, hey, if you get around to it, maybe don't be so worried about money and your earthly possessions, but you know, every once in a while, if you think about it, store up treasures for yourself in heaven. You have to remember that when Jesus says, do not store up for yourself treasure here on earth, that that is a command that is coming from the mouth of Almighty God. It's a command that's coming from the mouth of Almighty God that that has incredible consequences we're gonna see if in fact we ignore it. And so in light of that, that this is the command of Scripture coming from Almighty God. I think it begs a question for us, especially here in America, what in the world does that look like? What what does Jesus mean for us when he says that? What what does it look like for me and for you to go out those doors and actually obey this commandment of the Scripture now? Does that mean that you and I can't own a home? Is that what he's saying? You know, does that mean that... um, we can't go out there and, and get the new iPhone when it comes out. Does, does, does Jesus, is he teaching here that we can't have a savings account, that that's somehow sinful? Is he saying that we shouldn't have a 401k? Is Jesus saying that we shouldn't have investments? Is, is he saying that we shouldn't want a better job or that we should never pursue a pay raise? Is Jesus saying that it is a sin to be wealthy? What is it that he's trying to teach us? What does it look like for us to obey this commandment? <clears throat> now I want you to hear this. The point that Jesus is making is not that all Christians are to take a vow of poverty. Okay, that's not what he's teaching. Now, God can call and does call some believers to poverty. I mean, I think it would be hard to argue that all the people that have left our church and gone and been part of the 100 people group all over the world that have literally sold all their earthly possessions and are living on just a few thousand dollars a year in some foreign country... I would, I, would, I would be venture to say that God has called them to that. He can do that. You see it with the rich young ruler. He says, I want to follow you, Jesus. And Jesus knew that money was sitting on the throne of his heart. He looked at the guy and says, you walk away from your money and you can follow me. <clears throat> so I want to be clear. He can cause the poverty, but I don't think that's the point of this text. I don't think the command here is Jesus is saying all Christians must take a vow of poverty. And here's why I think that. And I want you to turn there. I'm just going to read some scriptures to you. But follow along with me. In Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6, Scripture says, Go to the ant, O sluggard, observe her ways and be wise, which having no chief, office, or ruler, prepares her food in the summer and gathers, watch what it says, prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provision in the harvest. How long will you lie down, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep, a little sleep, a little slumber, little folding of the hands to rest, and your poverty will come in like a vagabond and your need like an armed man. And so, and this is just kind of one part in Proverbs. It talks about this a lot. The Bible very clearly states here that there is wisdom in not being lazy, but working hard and and basically storing up for yourself um, provision so that poverty will not come upon you. It almost looks at, at poverty as a negative thing here in Proverbs that comes upon a person because of laziness, all right, in the New Testament, in First Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, <coughs> Paul is, is talking to Timothy, he's writing to Timothy, and he, and, he, and he says this, he says, but if anyone does not provide for his own, especially those of his own household, he has denied the faith, and is worse than a non-believer, and so the Apostle Paul is, is writing to Timothy and saying, hey, one of the marks of a believer, one of the marks of a, of a Christian is that they work hard in order to provide for um, themselves. And, and their families for the, for the physical needs. Now check this out. You can go to Job. Uh, don't turn there. Job 42, 12. This is the end of the book of Job. You remember God comes in. He gives permission for Satan to go wipe Job out. Except don't take his life. Job loses everything. Loses his wealth. Loses his family. Loses his kids. <coughs> Job is faithful to the Lord through the process. And at the very end of the book of Job, it says this in verse 12 of uh, uh, Job 42, it says, the Lord blessed. Okay, so the Lord is the, is the one doing this here. The Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than the beginning, and he had 14,000 sheep, that's a lot of sheep, and 6,000 camels, and 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. Okay, that's Old Testament way to say, God made Job rich. God made Job rich. Okay, so there's several examples of God blessing people with wealth. And so we know, we know that, that wealth, listen carefully, wealth in and of itself is not necessarily sinful. It can be, it can be. If it was achieved through ill-gotten gain, the scriptures clear that sin. And if it owns your heart, which is very, very easy for it to do, Jesus says, that also is when you're in sin. <clears throat> but wealth in and of itself is not. So here's the question. <clears throat> How do we reconcile all that stuff that I just read with what Jesus is clearly saying here? How do we reconcile the two? I'll read it again, Matthew 6:19. Do not store up for yourself. Do not store up for yourself treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy where thieves do not break in and steal. Listen, I think the key I think the key to reconciling what Jesus is saying here, what the rest of the scripture is found, let's put up 19 again, verse 19. <clears throat> I think it's found in those two words, for yourselves. Everybody look at those two words, for yourself. I think that's the key. That's the key to understanding how we reconcile those two verses. And let's leave this up for a second. I want you to listen really carefully. what I'm about to say. Because I think this is the key, kind of the point of the whole sermon, so don't miss this. The point that Jesus is making here is not that you as a believer must take a vow of poverty and give away all your stuff. The point that Jesus is making is for you to make sure that you are using and utilizing the stuff that God has given you, not for yourself primarily, but for the kingdom of God but you are utilizing and using and putting to work the blessings that God has given in your life in such a way, listen, that is not storing up for yourself treasure here on the earth, but storing up for yourself treasure in heaven. Okay, so his point is not that having a 401k or some sort of material possession is a sin. His point is that if you're using that material possession primarily for you, in this life, that's when you have stored up for yourself treasure here on earth. And that's when it's turned into sin, right? <clears throat> his point, his point is not that if you've accumulated some sort of wealth that you're living in sin. The point is, if you have accumulated wealth and it is being primarily utilized for you here in this world, that's when you have stored up for yourself treasure here on earth. And that's when it is sin. Okay, you having wealth is not sinful, you utilizing wealth for you and not for the kingdom is when it's sin. <clears throat> okay, that's when it's sin. That's what he's saying, that's the point. That's how you reconcile it two. And so he makes this command to us, do not store up for yourselves treasures here on earth, but store up treasures in heaven. And then what he does with the rest of the, of the text here is he offers us three critical reasons why you as a believer have to obey this. that your earthly possessions, your finances, it's okay to have them, but they must be used primarily, not for you, but for the kingdom of God and the advancement of his kingdom. He gives us three reasons why. I want to walk through those three reasons quickly, give you a little bit of application, and we'll be done. So let's look at it one more time. Matthew 6, 19. Do not store up for yourself treasure on earth. Do not store up for yourself treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal but store up for yourself treasure in heaven (coughs) where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. And then he gives the first reason why this is absolutely so critical that we obey this command as followers of Christ. Look at verse 21. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Do not store up for yourself treasure here on earth, Jesus said, because you need to know something. Where your treasure is, either in heaven or in this world, that is where your heart will reside. He says the first reason, Jesus says the first reason that we've got to obey this thing, not storing up for ourselves treasure here on earth, is he's saying this, <clears throat> because the place you're storing up your treasure is going to be the place that owns your heart. He's saying, if you want to know, church, Jesus, not me, saying if you want to know beyond a shadow of a doubt who or what owns your heart, look at the location of where you are storing up treasure. Is it in heaven or is it on earth? Okay, and that's how you'll know. And the reason this is such a hard saying, the reason this is such a difficult saying, is because the point that Jesus is making, and hear this, is that you can say, you can say with your mouth all day long that your heart belongs to God and your heart not really belong to God. Because what Jesus is trying to teach us is that we're not really necessarily supposed to look at what is or hear what is coming out of a person's mouth, but we are to look at what they are doing with their treasure. And that's how we can know for sure who or what owns a person's heart? That's what Jesus is saying. You want to know where a person's heart is? Look at their treasure. Because that's where their heart already is. Okay, and so I think this is difficult. This is difficult. Not, not me, but Jesus. He's saying if you're using your money, if you're using your job, if you're using your house, if you're using your car, if you're using your education, If you're using your time in college, not for the Lord, not for his glory, not for his name, not for for the expansion of the kingdom, not for his church, not for the winning of souls, but you're using all that treasure just for you, just for your benefit here in this world. What Jesus Christ is saying is that the reason you are doing that might very well be because the Lord does not have your heart but the world does. And that's why this is so dangerous that American Christians completely blow this off because Jesus said that this is an incredibly accurate indicator of who has our hearts, okay? That's the first reason. Now, let's look at the second reason he gives us, why our treasure must be stored up in heaven. And not on earth, that we should use what God has given and blessed us with in such a way that stores up treasure in heaven and not just is used for ourselves here on earth. Let's look at uh, verse 19 again. <coughs> do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroys and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth and rust destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now watch carefully verse 22. Watch what he says next. He says, for the eye of the lamp, he says the eye rather is the lamp of the body. And so then if your eye is clear, your your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now i never had a clue what those two verses meant my whole life until this week. <coughs> but Because it's confusing at first glance. But I want you to remember something. Jesus is absolutely talking about the context of money. He's talking about finance. He's talking about wealth. He's, he's saying all this stuff about treasure. Don't store it up because your heart's going to be there. And then he says these crazy statements about the eye being the lamp of the body and and your, your body being full of light or darkness. And then right after that, he says, you can't serve God in wealth, which I'm about to talk about in a second. And so and at first glance, it looks like he's changing the subject. Money, finances, crazy stuff we don't understand, money and finances. But it's not. He's not changing the subject at all. <coughs> he's actually still talking about one seamless subject here. I'll tell you what it means. The Jewish people believe that your eyes <coughs> were what directed the rest of your body. Listen carefully. It's kind of confusing. They believe that your eyes are what directed the rest of your body. So whatever you set your eyes on, whatever you set your eyes on, your heart, your mind, and your soul would just immediately follow after whatever you set your eyes upon. And so when Jesus makes the statement that the eyes are the lamp of the body, that's what he's addressing. He's saying that if you set your eyes on what is good, if you set your gaze on what is right, then your heart your mind and your soul will be filled with what is good and what is right. And that's why he uses the illustration of a lamp. It's kind of like if you take a match and you put it down into the mouth of the lamp, like that, you put it down in the mouth of the lamp and it's lit, then it lights up the whole lamp with light. That's what Jesus is saying about our bodies. That's what he's saying about our hearts and our minds and our souls. When our eyes are set on what is good and what is right, then then it fills our whole bodies and souls and minds with light. He says, and let's read it again in verse 22. He says, the the eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. Okay, now to understand really kind of the point and what this has to do with our finances and our treasure, you gotta look at the word clear. So look at the word clear there. The word clear is the Greek word, haplous, and, and it doesn't mean clear, like a lack of blemish or not muddied. Okay, listen carefully. It's a word that means straight. It's a word that means direct. It's a word that means a singular focus, okay? And so the sentence is literally translated this way. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body And so then, if your eye has a singular focus, if your eye has a singular direction, then your whole body, your heart, your mind, your soul is going to be full of light. And again, do not forget 100% without argument from any theologian in history, the context of this is talking about our earthly treasure, our finances, our money. Okay, so here's what Jesus is literally saying. He's saying this, if your gaze is set, if your eyes have a singular focus of storing up for yourself treasure in heaven, your whole body, use the physical body, is going to be full of light. If you are using the things, the stuff, the earthly possessions that the Lord has blessed you with for his glory, your whole body is going to be full of light. And then in the same way, Jesus says the opposite of that is true. The opposite of that is true. In verse 23, he says, but if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Jesus is saying this, that if your gaze is set on you, listen, on you storing up treasure for yourself here on this earth, your whole body will be full of darkness. And Jesus says that darkness will be great. It'll be a great darkness. Here's the point. Here's the point that Jesus is making in these two verses, that there is a direct connection, both spiritual and physical. There's a direct connection between how you are stewarding the treasure, the wealth, the finances that God has given in your life and your spiritual health. That, I'm not saying that, that's the claim of scripture. You can believe it or not, but that is what Jesus says. Jesus is saying, I want you to know this is a really big deal. Not only is your heart gonna to belong to where your treasure is, but there is going to be this direct physical connection between how you are steering your finances and your inward spiritual health. That's what Jesus is saying. And I want you to know that I've seen this. And, and, and again, I... <laughs> I bet I've read that verse a hundred times in my life. I've taught on this text several times. I always just skip over the lamp thing because I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about, Jesus. But now that I know what it means, I've thought about it. I'm like, that makes all the sense in the world. It makes all the sense in the world. One of the first times I look back over my life this week and one of the first times that I encountered the reality of what Jesus was saying was in the Woodlands, Texas. Y'all know where the Woodlands is? Woodlands near Houston, if you've never been to Woodlands, it is like um, the, uh, the American dream utopia. It is, it is just this perfect little town that's kind of a, it's a suburb of Houston. And it's where all the executives and stuff that work in Houston, that's where everybody lives. It's a gorgeous place. Um, everybody there, everybody there makes a lot of money or at least does really well. It's a lot of like the pilots and kind of business executives and oil people, everybody just cruising down the American dream. It's awesome. And, and I was a youth pastor in the Woodlands and I, um, I saw a, a, an income demographic breakout of all the people in the Woodlands. I think I was literally the poorest human being in the Woodlands, Texas. I was making $18,000 a year. I was living living in government subsidized apartment in the Woodlands. And so everybody I was around had more money than me. And so here's one of the things I noticed and I noticed it there and I've seen it here in this church. Something really interesting. You would meet people and they'd have all this money and they'd have all this success I've got this one guy in my mind. He was a VP of a a big company in Houston. He was living in like a 6,000 square foot house, um, which is really big when you're living in a 475 square foot apartment that the government's paying for. And um, he was driving a Lexus, member of the country club, great family. But you get around the guy. You go to church every Sunday. But you get around the guy. And there was just an emptiness there about him. There was just an emptiness there about him. When you talk to him, <coughs> and, and, and there were others like this that I met, there was, there was this subtle kind of lack of contentment that you'd sense in them. There would be this kind of subtle lack of of peace. <coughs> it's really you can Pick up on it really quick, actually. There's a subtle arrogance. It's not an overt arrogance. They didn't get where they're at because they're these jerk guys. There's this subtle arrogance there that's, it seems to be compensating for something lacking on the inside of them. And you get around them, and you talk to them, and you realize they're not bad guys. They're good dudes. You like them, but, but there's just something you, you can't put your finger on. There's just a darkness there. There's just an emptiness there. And you begin to talk to them, and one of the things you'll realize about their life is, is, is it seems that the entirety of their life seems to be driven and focused around achieving some sort of financial next step. Their families are important to them, but it's, it's all about, okay, can we get to, to the next neighborhood, the next better neighborhood? Can I get this next job position? Can I add another zero on my 401k? And, and Jesus says that if that's what you're doing if that's the focus of your life, if you're serving money, if money's your master, if that's what you're driven by, that you're kind of storing up for yourself treasure on earth, (coughs) that what it does, because that's what your eye is set upon, that it produces inside of you a darkness. I've seen it. I've seen it. It makes sense to me. And I'm like, oh, that's why I kept seeing that. And on the other hand, you would meet these guys and, and you can ask my wife, if you were hanging out with Jennifer, we, we used to talk about this. There, in the same town, same church, we would meet guys just as successful, but they would be radically different. Radically different. There's a joy, there was a joy about some of these folks. You'd get around them and, and, and there's just a contentment inside of them. They didn't always seem to be looking for the next step. There was just contentment and a light in their souls. I'm thinking about one guy <coughs> in particular, and I would begin to talk to him. He was a, um, a senior VP at, at uh, one of the biggest companies in Houston that's founded there in Houston. And I just absolutely loved the dude. He, he was amazing. It was such a joy to be around, such a light to be around. And you get to talking to him. I found out one day um, that one of his kids told me this because he would never talk about it. Is that he was living on fifty percent of his income? He lived on fifty percent of his income. <clears throat> there was a guy that mentored me. He was a president of a construction company, and he they lived in this incredibly modest house. It's, it's and this guy made. I asked him just straight up one time because he mentored. He asked what he made, and it was a lot. And he, he did not live in a house anywhere we close commensurate to what he was making. And, and I asked him, why are you doing that? You could." You could even live in a house two or three steps up easy and not be pretentious. Why, why here? And what he said has impacted me. He said, Matt, I've made a commitment to the church. I've made a commitment to my kids' school. And, and I, I'm, I just feel like God is calling me right now just to, to invest in the kingdom of God and use this blessing that God has given me for the glory of God. That's, and, and there's just, and you, you hang out with those guys, there's just a light there. That's what Jesus is talking about. I understood this and went, oh Jesus, that's what you're saying. These two men (coughs) had set their gaze on storing up for themselves treasures in heaven, even though they were wealthy. And what it did is it produced inside of them a light. And that's what Jesus is talking about, okay? There are a lot of you in the room. And I wanna go ahead and say this, because we're gonna end today here in a few minutes talking about where where Paul gives instruction to the wealthy and there's a lot of you are gonna tune that verse out because you don't think you're wealthy because you're measuring yourself against American standards. But you remember that was said in in the first century there. And so if you live in America, you are some of the wealthiest human beings that have ever breathed there in the history of mankind. So if I'm ever talking about wealthy people, go ahead and lump yourself into that category here. But let me say this, there's some of you in the room (coughs) that you have a darkness that's in you and is hovering around you and you don't know why it's there. And you're calling it a lot of different things, but there's just a darkness, there's an emptiness there and you can't put your finger on why. What Jesus is saying, church, is that one of the first places you ought to look is where are you storing your treasure? Because Jesus says, you set your eye on what is right, you will be filled with light. Last thing, Jesus gives the last reason for, um, (coughs) the last reason rather, why restore up treasures here on earth, not to store up treasures here on earth. And this is probably the hardest one. Verse 19, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, thieves break in and steal. (coughs) Store up for yourself treasure in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, for where your treasure is, verse 21, for where your treasure is, that's where your heart's gonna be. That's number one. Number two, eyes the lamp of the body. If your eyes clear, your whole body will be full of light. If your eyes bad, your whole body will be full of darkness and that darkness will be great. Look at verse 24. This is the hardest thing he says. <coughs> Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. This is, this is actually where it gets kind of offensive. He says, no one, not anybody, not one of you, can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. And just in case we, any of us thought, now Jesus is not really talking about money in these verses. Jesus says, you cannot serve God and wealth. Jesus could have said anything right there. You can't serve God and sex. You can't serve God and Satan. You can't serve God and your health. You know, can't serve God in CrossFit. He doesn't say that. He says, you can't serve God in money. He knew, he knew that the propensity of our souls would be to go after money. He knew that the propensity of our souls would be to worship money. He knew how quickly and easy it would be for us to make money Our God, Jesus is saying, you need to understand something. You can't have one foot in serving money and and have this other foot and say you're serving God. Jesus says it's one or the other. And if you are serving money, if money's your God, if you are serving it, what he says is you hate God. That's what he says. One of the greatest lies Satan ever pulled on us, church, is to make us think that we can walk out these doors and wholeheartedly pursue and serve money and come to church every once in a while and say that we're lovers of God. That's a lie from the pit of hell. If money is your master, God is not, period. You know what? You wanna know why this is such a difficult statement of Jesus, why this is so hard? Because what Jesus Christ just said, do not, Think I'm saying this. This is what Jesus is literally saying. What Jesus is literally saying is that money is a salvation issue. Money is a salvation issue. He's not saying that you have to steward your money in order to be saved. That's not what he's saying. But he's saying that if you are saved, if you are saved, it will manifest itself in how you are stewarding your money. It reveals that you're saved. And so you might say, well, (coughs) Matt, how do I know? I live in America, how do I know? This is pretty intense reasons here for not storing up for myself treasure on earth, but storing up treasure in heaven. How do I know if I'm serving money and not the Lord? And I just, I wanna say some things that are not necessarily just straight running biblical, just some, some wisdom things I've learned over the years that might indicate that your heart is in the wrong spot. A couple of things, you might be serving money. <clears throat> Has debt, has debt hindered you from giving your finances, being generous to the expansion of the kingdom of God, using the stuff that you have for the glory of God first? Has debt hindered you from doing that? And I'm not talking about <coughs> medical bills. I'm not talking about student loans, stuff like that, that kind of seem to be these necessities of life that happen and this crazy stuff that happens. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about new iPhones and flat screens and, restaurants and clothes. I'm talking about being tied up financially because you're living in more house than you can afford. I'm talking about you being tied up financially and in debt because you're driving more car than than you can afford. The question that I'm asking you, and I think the Lord is asking us is, has, has, listen, has your choice of lifestyle hindered your kingdom generosity? Because if you're at a a place where you can't, you can't, either you won't or you can't give to support the mission of the Lord in this world, then then, then you need to hear me really, because of your choice of lifestyle. (coughs) What Jesus is saying is that might be because God is not your God, that money is your God. Okay? Because if God is your master, hear this right here, if God is your master, If God is your master, if God is your king, your choice of lifestyle should never hinder hinder your kingdom generosity. If God is your master, your choice of lifestyle should never hinder your kingdom generosity. If anything, your kingdom generosity ought to hinder your lifestyle. Did y'all hear that? Your kingdom generosity ought to hinder your lifestyle. There ought to be things, if God is your God and you're not serving money, there ought to be things in your life that you're regularly having to say no to because of your kingdom in this world, because of your kingdom generosity. Okay, that's one. Has debt hindered kingdom generosity? Here's a quick one. Um, And this is for everybody. What's your heart motivation for your career? What's what's kind of the heart motivation for your career or college students, your major. Just dig down deep into this this week in your quiet time. Just kind of what, why am I doing what I'm doing? Is it so that I can get rich? Is that kind of the goal? Is that the point? Is it so that I can be famous? Is it so that I can have guaranteed financial freedom in the future and security Or is really and truly the heart motivation of why you're doing what you're doing, whether it's going to the nations or whether it's being the CEO of a major corporation in the Woodlands. Am I doing what I'm doing because I want to build up treasure in heaven and I wanna advance the kingdom of God. It's absolutely 100% okay to want, to, to go out there and work hard and crush it. But what Jesus is saying is that the motivation in your heart has to be for God's kingdom and His glory. Are you storing up for yourself treasure or are you storing up treasure in heaven? <clears throat> for those of you that debt is not an issue, really quickly, <clears throat> for those of you that debt is not an issue, I wanna ask you a hard question. And this is a question I've asked myself this week. <clears throat> could a lost person, could a lost person look at the way that you are stewarding your finances and your earthly possessions and say, I know this person's heart belongs to God? Could could a lost person, somebody that doesn't know the Lord, could they look at how you are stewarding your money and stewarding your stuff and know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God was your master and not money? Or would there be some doubt? because this, this is such a difficult saying of Jesus. It's so hard. We don't like it as Americans because what Jesus is clearly saying is that our stuff and what we're doing with it is an incredibly accurate indicator of our true spiritual condition. Last thing I wanna do is I wanna give you two quick um, kind of just points of application. <clears throat> like one of the things, couple things that, that I'm doing, that my wife and I are doing, um, that our elders are doing and that, that I think you can do to just kind of ensure there's a lot more than these. If, if you're at a place, you're like, man, I'm struggling with this. I'd encourage you to study this for yourself based on what Jesus is saying. But here's two just real quick applications that you can just walk out the doors. You can go do this just to help fight this battle of money not owning your heart. And here's, here's what I do. Here's the first thing. When it comes to your finances, give to the Lord first. When it comes to your money, give to the Lord and his kingdom first. Have you ever wondered when you read the Bible, have you ever wondered why God keeps asking his people to give to him first? Have you ever wondered that? All the time. God's like, bring to me, to the storehouse, your first fruits. God's always saying, bring it to me first. Why is God always asking his people to take a portion of their income and to set it aside and to do it first? Is it because God needs the money? God doesn't need the money. Okay, if you didn't know that, come talk to me later. God doesn't need the money. There's a reason He's asking us to do that, and here is the reason: it's a way that we that God wants us to to kind of show Him, God, my heart first and foremost belongs to you. My heart first and foremost belongs to you. It's a way of saying, God, um, you are my master, not money. It's, it's a way that our hearts are saying, God, you're the, you're the priority. God, you're first in my life. It's, it's a way of saying, God, I'm not going to spend everything I have on myself. And then maybe if I have anything left over God, then I'll give some towards the kingdom because it's just impossible. It's impossible to, to say that, oh yeah, I'm serving money. When one of the very first things you're doing is giving it away. If, God is your, if money is your God, you won't do that, you won't do that. It's just a real simple way that, we, that, that God can just do a work on our hearts. God, it's, it's yours, it's yours first. Now college students, singles, young folks, let me say something to you. The time to kind of begin doing this is not in your 40s. Um, the, the time to practice and develop that spiritual muscle of faithfulness and not storing up for your treasure, your treasure here on earth is not when you're 40's because here's what's going to happen in your 40's I'm going to speak from experience <clears throat> you're going to have some kids and they're going to grow up to be teenagers and then your teenagers are going to suck the living financial life out of you I, y'all know what I'm talking about I feel like a walking ATM machine my kids just walk, push a button I start handing out 20's that's just what I do and you're going to wake up in your 40s, you're going to have a mortgage, you're going to have a car, you're going to have all these things and your money's going to be tied up different places and you're going to hear some guy speaking about, do not store up your treasure share on earth and you're going to say, crud, I can't do it because my money's everywhere else. Jennifer and I started when we were making 18 grand a year saying, God, you're our master, you're our Lord. We're going to do this, we're going to do this first. And so down the road, that, that, that faithfulness, that discipline is, is already there. Another thing you can do, just very quickly, we're just literally like a minute or two away from the sermon being done, hang with me. And this is a little bit easier way than giving to God first and some more um, broad way that we can just kind of ensure that God's our master, not money, is, is look for ways that you can use your other earthly treasures for the glory of God. Look for other ways that you can use your earthly treasures for the glory of God. In First Timothy six seventeen. Paul is talking to rich people. And again, don't exempt yourself from this. He's talking to you. In 1 Timothy 6, 17, watch this. He says, Timothy, instruct those who are rich in this present world. That's all of us. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. In verse 18, he says, here it is, listen. Instruct them to do good. Do good with your riches. Be rich in good works. Be generous. Be generous and ready to share. Watch, why? 19, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future. You see that? Rich people that are generous. Rich people that use their riches for the good of the glory of God you're storing up for yourself something in the future. Think about how you're using your home. Think about how you're using your apartment. Think about how you're using your car. Think about how you're using your education. Think about how you're using all the gifts and the blessings that God has given you, not for yourself, but for the future, which is heaven. And I'll close with this quote by G. Campbell Morgan. Listen to this and I'll pray. He says, let's bring that up. You are to remember that you are not a child of today. You are not of the earth. You are more than dust. You are a child of tomorrow. You are of the eternities. You are the offspring of deity. The measurement of your lives cannot be circumscribed by the point where blue sky kisses the green earth. All the fact of your life cannot be encompassed in one small sphere with which you live. In other words, there's more to your life than just this earth. It says you belong to the infinite. If you make your fortune on this earth alone, poor, sorry, silly soul. You have made your fortune and stored it in a place where you cannot hold it. Make your fortune, but store it where it will greet you in the dawning of the new morning. Let's pray. Father, forgive us for our lack of faithfulness. Forgive, God, our evil hearts that have served money and not letting let you have your rightful place on the throne of our hearts. I pray by your spirit today, Lord, that we would be reminded that we are children of a living God, that we are souls that are going to live forever. And I pray that we would live our short lives in such a way for eternity. God, that we would set our eyes, that we would set our gaze on living for that day where we will see you face to face. And God, until that day comes, I pray you would fill us with light so that everybody could see it and praise your name. We love you. We praise you. We say you're worthy. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen, church. Let's stand together.